501 Crossroads is your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, Executive Director of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. And we have my fabulous co-host, Natalie Jablonski, the Nonprofit Ninja. Specializing in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources to achieve organizational greatness. All right, Marjorie, here's the deal. Okay. Okay, so I keep getting feedback from our listeners that they love our show, which is great. Yay! Yay! We love that. The problem I have is that what they'll say things are, I like the idea you had in that show, but it doesn't really work for my office, and let me tell you why. Mm -hmm. And it's usually because they're in a really big shop, or they're really in a small shop, and they have so many different challenges that are different between the two. And so I find the most biggest challenge probably that we have comes from our most precious resource. People. People. Right. So small shops, I think, definitely have their challenges, but I think they also have a lot of benefits. We probably don't highlight that a lot on this show. Uh, So I want to give them a little love about that. So I brought someone today to hear to sort us through the pros and the cons of a small shop. It's Chief Development Officer who's been in both large shops and small shops. So I think he'll provide a great resource for us, David Garris. Dave is currently the Foundation Director for the St. Elizabeth's Hospital Foundation here in the Metro East. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Uh, why don't you give the listeners some more insight onto your development career? Thank you, Natalie. Um, yeah, I, uh, as, as most people in development, it found me. I didn't find it. Uh, so, it goes. so I was, uh, I was in the Air Force and, uh, af- so I took a little bit of a detour to college. And, uh, after getting out of the Air Force, I worked in a factory for a while and worked my way through, through college. And of course, I was an adult with a mortgage and with kids and the whole nine yards. So I couldn't just, I couldn't do internships. I couldn't, I couldn't take a, a big pay cut. Um, so I was, uh, I was pretty limited in, in what opportunities opportunities were out there for me as a new graduate with a bachelor's degree in business and yet all the you know all the things that come with adulthood yeah. all the responsibilities so oh, it's hard uh, being an adult it's <laughs> terrible <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not much fun <laughs> so so i was i was as i said i was really limited and i hit a lot of a uh, lot of walls along the way um mainly at the pay level aspect and and so what I did find was an opening with the Boy Scouts of America here in, in Belleville at Oak Valley shop. Council, mm-hmm. which is a big <laughs> shop. And they were at the right pay level, uh, to, for entry level. And, um, it seemed like a, a good fit, except for the fact I'd never been a Boy Scout. So there was that. <laughs> um, but that was, that was how I got in. And it's, it was 11 years ago and I'm still in, still in development ever since. So. That was my road, and that's a big shop. So um, from there, uh, I the one thing about working for the Scouts is um, it's a great job if you if, you know if there's 36 hours in a day. It's not so <laughs> great if there's 24, especially if you have a family. So um, after about two years of that, uh, it became pretty obvious that it wasn't really compatible, uh, at least the position at the moment, uh, with having a family. So, um, that's when I started to seek other opportunities and I ended up, uh, working for the missionary oblates of Mary Immaculate. Um, Big which, shop or small shop there? Another big shop. Okay. Really so, big shop. <laughs> another big shop. Well, uh, yeah, big shop. I can in hear all our as... listeners now. Really? Seriously? You're throwing <laughs> in our face? No, wait, so, it gets better. There's more. <laughs> so, yeah, a, a really big shop in the, in the fact that the the whole entity was about fundraising uh, that I was part of. Um, and a, and a, a large, fairly large office of 10 to 15 people that were devoted to a major and planned giving. And I was a gift advisor uh, who 
service the southwestern United States. So I traveled a lot. And and I know on face value, it says, well, you were trying to get more time with your family. Well, I was promised weekends and I got weekends. And that's a pretty big thing when you're working with the scouts, you don't get many weekends. And when I was in town, I got my evenings. And so it was a lot better for a family life. However, you know, travel does wear on you. And after Mm -hmm. six years plus of doing that, uh, that was... That was about all I could handle of, of all that travel. Um, and so, and so it was did, also. So then did you go to another big shop? No. So, <laughs> so, so that was also in our, a time in my career where it was time to step up into a, into a leadership role. Mm. And so, uh, that's when I, uh, was presented with the opportunity to work for a parish, a fairly large parish that had been two parishes that had combined and built a new church and had a large outstanding debt. And they had had two capital campaigns to extinguish this debt. Oof. And just, uh, they just were spinning their wheels and they had spent a lot on consultants and they felt that, and at the same time, they weren't, they had no plan giving whatsoever. It kind of, uh, had dropped off and, uh, they felt that the money would be better spent on, on bringing somebody in and that's where I stepped up to the director level and that was a small shop it was a shop of one me so <laughs> that was a culture shock. I was a director I directed myself okay. <laughs> so I bet your staff meetings were fantastic well they were they were short which I appreciated <laughs> so um and then I, I I did that for oh for a little over a year it wasn't my intention to leave there um but uh, it became pretty we we had some great success uh we had some great uh involvement of of volunteers that I was able to recruit but the parish leadership had disintegrated uh that was as I was coming into that position it was kind of not explained to me that that was going on so I found myself uh in a kind of off on an island and if you don't have any connections to raise funds you have nobody to build you know to bridge those mm-hmm. gaps you really are out there by yourself and uh, yourself and it's really difficult to 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 raise money and and we just had a parish that just wasn't engaged mm-hmm. uh, and that was mainly because it was two parishes that were forced to merge as I mentioned mm-hmm. and in that process, they were forced to create a new parish that neither one identified with. And so they had and continue to have a lot of dysfunction, a lot of wonderful people there, but just a lot to work through, yeah. a lot of baggage. So I wasn't looking, uh, but after over after being there over a year, um, there were I could see that there were a lot of there were probably more struggles then successes on the horizon at that position. And another position happened to present itself, one that I hadn't, that I actually pushed off to the side when it first presented itself. I looked at it and said, I'm not ready for that right now. I'm I've, I'm committed to what we're trying to do here. I know it's a struggle. I know it's a battle. <laughs> I don't know where it's going to end up, but uh, I wasn't ready for it. Give it a few, you know, another month or two and it came back around and I had Changed my perspective a little bit on things. And so that's how I ended up at St. Elizabeth's. Another small shop, a shop of two. So, so I like, and I heard St. Elizabeth's Hospital Foundation, and I thought big. And I said, Natalie, why are you bringing in somebody from a hospital foundation? But it's, it's staff of two, you said. Yes. Yeah. That's crazy. And I really appreciate you sharing your story because I think a lot of times people wonder about their own journey. And does this make sense? This yo-yo, this roller coaster I'm on where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm big shop, I'm little shop. I, I'm directing myself. I'm directing 20 people. I, I see an opportunity. Am I ready to go there? I'm not sure yet. Where does my family fit in? I think we've all been there. And so thanks for, for sharing that. I think that a lot of our listeners probably really can relate to your story. So 
Uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about the shop size. So yeah. you, you made that fun reference, you know, <laughs> that we assume things. So mm-hmm. the question, does shop size really matter? Does it matter if it's big or small? And, and what is big? And how is that defined? What do you guys think? You know, for me, so like a, a big shop is someplace that actually has defined people that do specific things. Like there is a person that does planned gifts and a person that does major gifts. One person that just does the annual giving campaign and things like that. So I figure once you get to that point where you can have people doing these individual parts, I feel like that's when you can start calling yourself a big shop. That's a great way to look at it. I I would think that one, we were kind of with the Boy Scouts uh, at that time, that council has evolved. It merged Mm -hmm. with another council. It looks like it's going to roll in and be part of the St. Louis council. So it's going to be much larger. Uh, We were what I call little big council or big little council or however you would look at it, we were large. We had a large population, but we weren't large enough to have some of those uh, specialties, people who mm-hmm. were in charge of very specific things. And uh, as you mentioned, yet St. Louis had all of that, but mm-hmm. we were big enough to have a lot of the issues that a large council has. Yeah. And so it really, that's what makes it, made it really difficult. I think that's why you saw them merge and you're seeing them probably merging again because you couldn't we there was just in no man's land and so what you ended up with a bunch of people who were who uh, were jack of all trades and Mm -hmm. master of none and that really stretched people to their limits and and contributed to turnover yeah so one of the questions i often hear people ask me is well how big is too big when you're talking about a big shop and i always wonder does it relate to the number or does it relate to the specialty like Mm. in the idea that you know you you made a great reference to people that had lots of different skills but they weren't really refined and skilled in one area so is it really about the number or is it about having the right people on the bus at the right time with the right skill set for the organization so I think that's a struggle that a lot of organizations face with, well, how small is too small? How big is too big? The question really is more of what you need, I would think. Yeah. Well, and if you have somebody that's like really terrible at major gifts in the major gifts section, and then you're like, oh, well, we can help them by giving them an assistant and giving them, you know, a researcher and all these people, you can have four people supporting this one person where maybe you could have one or two if you had a good one. So mm. I think, you know, a lot a lot of times it is about making those hard decisions about people resources too. Yeah. So then what drives what drives shop size? Do you think it's more the idea that it's the revenue budget or is it organizational culture or do you think mm. there's other factors or a combination of which? Dave, what do you think? I think a lot of it's organizational, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, the culture, mm-hmm. um, really what, priority they put on it depends so with the oblates it's a fundraising entity with the scouts it's a part of their overall you know goals with the hospital it's the same way so i think that that lends you know that leads to some of it but uh also it's just what leadership has over the years put a priority on Mm -hmm. um it's a really good point i think we forget too that is it program driven or is it fundraising driven? Yeah. And if it's fundraising driven because you're then taking those funds and you're giving them back to another group or group of groups, then that's one thing. But if you're program driven, then that may change how the culture is decided. Yeah. Obviously, if your survival depends on the dollars that you raise, that changes the 
perspective just a little bit. <laughs> well, and, yeah. Yeah. And then we always, always have to worry about that dreaded overhead ratio that mm-hmm. we tried not to worry about, but we know we're worried It's about. what keeps <laughs> us up at night. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, um, and which is better? Is it better to have, in your opinion, working in, and I know you've worked in different size organizations. Nope. Just no? one size. One size fits one all size for fits you. Me, yeah. yeah, you go. So you're you're a smaller shop kind yeah, of gal. Only small shops. So this will be interesting. So we'll mm-hmm. have uh, someone who has big shop background and someone who has small shop mm-hmm. background. And uh, which is better? Do you think it's easier or better for you to be able to have internal resources, meaning people on your staff that know how to do the things you need to do and can do those for you, or is it better to be able to have a smaller group and yet outsource those prof- those resources as you see fit? Which do you prefer? Well, it really depends on on what exactly you're talking about. If it's a, you're talking about your shop being an office within a larger organization that has, for example, a marketing department, which I had with the Oblates, I have with the hospital, um, you know, graphic design, um, a lot of different support areas. Uh, in that, when you look at it from that perspective, it's a mixed bag. It, it's There's pluses and minuses when you go outside of the organization. You get a level of, of customer support that sometimes you just don't get when uh when you're working internal uh people sometimes lose perspective of that you're you're a customer we we had mm. some of that in the past i've been very fortunate with the hospital to have great support but uh that that can be an issue and it can and it can make make it difficult to to be successful um because the expectation is that you use the internal resources mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that makes sense yeah and with us you know we have to do so much outsourcing of you know i mean we don't if we're doing graphic design, it means we're doing it on Canva or maybe publisher or something like that, or we're using our outside guy who charges us some money to do it. Um, and, you know, printing is always outsourced, you know, things like that. Right. So I'm never going to have a print shop in my office. Right. <laughs> and I think that's good for organizations yeah. to define. So what is it that you want to have in the future if mm-hmm. you're trying to change your organizational st- structure? And what is it that you're saying that these things are expertises that I don't ever need to absorb and we're always going to outsource based on mm-hmm. primary needs. And yeah. I think it's good to have those defined already as a shop. So if you don't, that's one thing that you could begin if you're trying to say, we want to be a big shop. Well, what does that look like to you? Is it numbers or is it skill set? So mm-hmm. figure out what you say. I want a subject matter expert in this and we're never going to be able, like an attorney is a great one. Mm. So most nonprofits can't afford to have an attorney on retainer. So that might be a resource that you're going to mm-hmm. say that as an organization, we're going to agree that that's going to be an outsourced skill set that we have. A CPA, hmm, maybe. Do I want to get big enough that I have someone internally that's strong enough in accounting that I don't have to rely heavily on an external source with exception of an auditing firm? Yeah. So. Uh, those are some of those pros and cons I think that we could weigh out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, even looking at, do you need somebody who is a capital campaigns expert? If you're a small organization that's not looking at big growth down the road, maybe you look at somebody who has more expertise in annual giving or things like that. Right. One of the things we did when I was with the Oblates was we added a position of a researcher, a full-time researcher. Mm-hmm. And oh, that would be nice. Because that freed up the gift advisors to focus mm-hmm. more on donor-centric uh, um, a more donor centric agenda, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to spending a lot of time in the computer digging around. And so that, that was extremely helpful. And that was something that we worked for. You know, we all squeaked 
as wheels do for <laughs> for quite a while before we actually were able to 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 get that position but uh that was something that that expanded our shop but then mm -hmm. also uh came and and gave us more opportunity to seek other I can see that being a really great one because you can spend a lot of time on research. Yeah. And um, I think that just goes to show you when you know your people and you mm -hmm. know your program and you know what's needed. And kudos to your group for listening to the squeaky wheels. Although we know sometimes that uh, you hear the same squeaking over and over and you can't <laughs> do much about it. In this case, it probably really was a big advantage for your organization to have someone at that caliber mm -hmm. there. So let's talk about some of the advantages of a small shop. Cause I know a lot of our listeners enjoy their small shops. They're, they're very defensive about them. They've told me, Hey, you know, what's good about being small. We don't have to worry about this. Like they almost feel like they have to be <laughs> defensive when they're in the coffee shop talking to me about it. And I hear you. I'm a small shop too. So, um, let's talk about some of the freedoms that we get as a small shop that perhaps get tied up when you're in a big shop. So what are some of the things you can do in a small shop that maybe you think uh, big shops might struggle with? Don't all don't all talk at once. <laughs> well, you have a lot of autonomy. You can you can you can pivot quickly. You you can execute things um, in real time, and that that makes a big difference. But there's one. There's also I would say that um, it's not as cut and dry as big and small shop. It's a small shop and a big organization, or mm. a big shop mm -hmm. and a big organization, a small shop and a small organization. I don't know that there's many big shops and small organizations, but it depends on how big your parent organization is, uh, can have a lot to do with it. So, uh, it was a shock to me to, to walk into a hospital, which has layers upon layers of processes to get through simple things as ordering pens. Uh, whereas I came from an, a small shop of one. So I went from one to two people, but all of a sudden found a lot, a lot more I had to learn to navigate than in my previous position. So I will, so to be able to do those things I just talked about as a small shop, they weren't as readily available to me right. uh, because everything took a process and a, had to get approvals and all of that. So I think it 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 really there's a lot of a uh, lot more to it than just small versus big. Mm -hmm. Really depends on what your parent organization size yeah. is as well. That is true. And I think the flip side of that is so if you are having all those layers of approval and process and such and you strip that away and you are in a small shop where you don't have that you also have more responsibility because now yes it may have taken me five documents and five signatures to order that box of pens as you use the example and i can just go in a small shop and run by and pick some up on the way here and throw it in in petty cash mm -hmm. i have to be responsible for that and know that those are office supplies and now that's going towards my budget and how are we raising that money? And yes, I know we're talking in this example about pens, but, but things still. bigger with regards to computers and technology and deciding to or not to go to a workshop or a conference where there's a fee associated with that. And uh, so with every layer of bureaucracy that you have, you also have the turn point of the responsibility that comes back to you because you're now the decision maker. So yeah. there could be that that pro and con, depending on how much responsibility you want. Because the other thing I hear a lot of young professionals saying, I don't know what I want. I don't know if I want to be at a big shop or a small shop. I haven't had enough experience. And uh, 
the glory of the concept of what they put in their mind as a big shop of <laughs> all of these resources and all of these people sounds like that's exactly what someone wants. And then they don't think about things like this. So do they want that flexibility or do they want that responsibility? And what does that look like? Yeah. A big shop sounds great until your copy goes through seven people for editing. On the first round. Yeah. On the first round. <laughs> Try so I think again. that's really that locus of control. Yeah. So that's one of the advice that I like to give a lot of young professionals entering nonprofit is how much control do you want? Mm -hmm. Do you want to have the control to say, I'm going to write this letter. I'm proofreading it myself. I may have someone else proofread it just to make sure I don't sound like an idiot. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to go ahead and send it out, which means we're printing the labels. We're putting them on like... That's a lot of handholding, but it's also a lot of additional work and time and labor and such. But, or would you rather just say, I'm going to put it together and then I want someone else to deal with all of that and, and know that when you do that, you, you let go of some of that control. Yeah. And you know what, if, if for young, young professionals, Hey, the average time of development directors in a place is 18 months. You can do anything for 18 months. <laughs> That's so depressing. It's, it's, it's really it's a lot true, of... It's true, but it's so depressing. It's really a lot of feeling it out. Don't tell because, my development director that, please, okay? <laughs> because you have to find the, the right the right way to tackle it. You know, at first it was pretty, it was quite overwhelming, but yeah. you have to find a way to navigate those waters and still be able to function because we are a square peg in a round hole when it comes to a, to a large organization because development needs to be able to pivot. It needs to be able to respond and react quickly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and so that does become a, an issue when you're in a large organization that's focus is not necessarily on fundraising. Yeah. So and, I don't want to paint the, the small, shop is the end all be all of what we should do. There's challenges. And mm -hmm. I think we should really own those in, in this Absolutely. segment if we're going to do this as well. And not to mention, I don't want to get uh, yelled at by some of our listeners who said, you didn't, <laughs> you made it sound so glorious. I know you're tough. I know you're working hard. Uh, so what are some of the challenges, Marjorie, that you face in a small shop or Dave, you got two people in your shop. Well, I, can, right? I can tell you when it's a, when it's a shop of one, if you're sick, <laughs> there's nobody else to do the work. If it's a shop of two and you have turnover, all of a sudden you have Two, two people's worth of work. I found yeah. that out. Um, and 50% and of your knowledge base walks out the door. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it becomes, that's an immediate, it's pretty easy cut and dry, but, uh, that's, that can be, uh, that can be crippling. That can set you back quite, quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for one of the things that, you know, we're at your end right now and as a small shop, oh my goodness, there is, there is so much to do. There are so many people to call. Um, so many letters that have to get out the door between now and the end of the year and emails and invitations and everything. And trying to do that with just one or two people is, is really tough. I think, I mean, I think again, people resources is, is the big one. I saw the oxygen tank in the corner of your office. Yeah. I figured that's what that was for that, that overwhelming <laughs> feeling, but you're right. If you don't have a great way to cope with that and a, a, a sense of being able to, really accomplish that and figure out the organization that can, it can really overwhelm the yeah. whole team, not just the development officer, but it can really cause an anxiety across the whole team. Yeah. And I would say we have a strong plan, which, you know, so that, that helps. Good. At least we know what we're doing, but it's a, it's a lot. And so, you know, that is the, that is the challenge. We're definitely feeling a little overwhelmed this time of year. <laughs> I think a lot of times whenever I'm in a small shop setting, it's really all about the communication. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm sure that if you have, you mentioned two people on your team right now, it's really the idea of, did I, did I tell that person that, or did I think I tell that person that, and am I working on that or are they working on that? Because when you're wearing 15 hats, which we are very famous for in nonprofit mm -hmm. management, you want to make sure that you're not wearing the same hat at the same time. 
and you're making sure that you're dividing those times accordingly. So really not only just communication with each other, but communication with your donors and your key volunteers to make sure that they have the empowerment to be able to do what's needed to do to support you so that when you call them and you're like a little sharper or a little quicker with them than normal. And they're like, wow, Marjorie seems really stressed. Uh, they know why, because you've talked to them and said it's a hard time of year. And uh, maybe they understand they haven't heard from you in a couple of weeks since it's okay because you're absorbed with some other activities. So I think communication can really be the key there. Absolutely. So let's, let's have some fun. We're going to play a little, we're going to play a little game and it's a little bit of a dream game. So it's, a, it's, it's called if only, so uh, I'm going to give you a phrase and you finish the sentence for me. So Marjorie, how about you want to hit the first one? Give Dave an idea of what it's like. Okay. All right. So if only I had three more people in my shop, I would take blank. vacation. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I think we would um, really step up our major donor game um, and get our, myself and my direct development director out behind the desk more away from dealing with envelopes and letters and sticky tabs on newsletters and more with people um, getting on those phones a little bit more doing those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think major gifts is one of those things that we always want our board members want. And then it requires so much mm -hmm. strategy that all of a sudden we, we skip maybe some of the steps and go straight to solicitation. Yeah. And then we wonder why <laughs> it didn't work. So yeah, the three more people would help with that. Mm -hmm. Dave, uh, you ready for one? Sure. All right. If I only had, Five hundred thousand dollars more in net revenue for our organization. So I don't, I don't get that first question. And then, no, oh, you get I have an answer for that first question. That's what I would, I would spend it on fun stuff. Oh, what? I mean, I, <laughs> they would, they would love me. I, I um, wine for everybody. Yay! What, what would I do? I'd, Extra five hundred thousand in revenue. How would that change things for for your shop? Then I could get another person, and then, right. and then I could. Okay, that gets me, gets me my. First people. question, so I get three more people. And if you had three more people, what would you do with them? <laughs> I would, I would focus on plan giving. Uh, mm -hmm. The largest transfer of wealth in the history of the planet Earth, as we all know, is is getting ready to transpire, and and we are just not prepared for it. If you do not have a plan giving program, shame on you. Mm -hmm. And what are you doing tomorrow to fix that? That's. That's Why did you just message. say shame on me? I'm just <laughs> no, saying, I just, you know, like, I, I know people who don't even have it on their like, radar, radar at all. And, uh, you know, their remit envelopes don't discuss it or there's nothing on their website. I mean, no. you should have something for as Marjorie is making notes to add to her <laughs> remit envelope. Uh, something, even if it's passive aggressive, to remind mm -hmm. people about planting that seed and that you are receiving those gifts, even if you hadn't thought of it. So I agree. And that, you know, the past this this position with the hospital in my past position i walked in the middle of a campaign you yeah. know it was go campaign go right then yeah. and there and so the 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 most frustrating aspect of that is not being able to get the plan giving program to where i wanted to be at this time yeah. so i'm still i can't wait to get on it and we're doing small <laughs> things but uh plan giving plan giving plan giving i know the bean counters don't like to invest in plan giving because they don't see the immediate return, but you just absolutely, yeah. there, there is a lot of opportunity for immediate return with IRAs and such, but, uh, but your organization, you, you owe it to your organization to strengthen your Very plan well giving put. program. Absolutely. Very well put. All right, Natalie, what about you? If only I had more time in the office, the first thing I would do is, oh, 
leave. No, <laughs> if only I had more time in the office, you know, I have these files in my office. Mm-hmm. They're, they're made of this thing called paper and there are these cool yeah. folders and then there's more folders. And then there's all this history of the organization. Mm-hmm. I would love more time in the office just to go through and see what I don't know. Like oh, yeah. I know they're being saved because they're keepers, mm-hmm. but I'd like to know more about what that is and what that looks like. And it's amazing to me what I discover when I get to a chance to open one of those and see what's in there. Cause I think that I'm so driven by electronics mm-hmm. that if it's not electronically scanned in my computer, then it doesn't exist. And uh, when you are in an organization that's blessed by a great history, you have to remember that everyone wasn't electronics 15 years ago, 30 years ago, 60 years ago. So getting some of that out, dusting it off and seeing what, great nuggets are in there. I think that's how I would love to spend some time. I will say I've been in my particular job in my particular office for nine years now, and I have a cabinet in there that has a three foot long ish file cabinet. I went through it on Friday. Stop it. And the first time? The first time ever. Oh. I kind of knew it was in there. <laughs> I saved four files, four files, the rest of it garbage. <laughs> Wow. I'm, I'm a, a bit of a purger myself. Yeah. So. Good for I, you. you know, I just had People are scared to, to do it. it. Yeah. Well, it was, it was grant contracts from the 1980s. I feel like we fulfilled what we needed to do. <laughs> like, I think we've, we've covered that up. And if we didn't, we're in bigger trouble. Than you, I probably. Need to know about. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's a little bit before we go, let's kind of wrap up. Okay. All right. So pick your poison. If, if you had to be in one, which one would you be in, Natalie? A big shop or a small shop? Oh, you know that we've we talked about so many different elements of them, and I love them both. But I think my heart's in small shop, and and I think the reason, and when I say small shop, meaning locus of control, mm-hmm. I like the idea of being able to know that I'm making impact, I'm making change, and the things I'm doing is happening right now, and I accept the responsibility for what that looks like. And uh, I I think that's kind of where my heart is. There's great advantages to being in a big shop, and and by all means, I've been in both, so I've enjoyed both. But I do like the idea of being able to know that what I'm doing today affects tomorrow, and I'm going to have to own that. And that's that's a lot of responsibility, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah. What about what about you, Dave? What do you think? Big shop, small shop? What's your pick? Your poison? I, I like I like the camaraderie of a big shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that really there's a lot to be said for that, and being on a large team. Um, but I, but I really enjoy the, uh, autonomy of a small shop. And as I mentioned before, being able to pivot, it just seems, uh, that it's much more natural for our line of work to Mm -hmm. be able to, to, to meet the needs then and there without having to go through a big process. So, um, I, I would say that small shop, and of course it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that it's that uh, cost to raise a dollar is easy to keep down. So it's easy to show <laughs> when point. you win, when you win, you win big, Yeah, you know? So um, I, I do, I, I really think I'm a small shop guy. Marjorie. Yeah. I'd like to be in a small shop with a big shop paycheck. Can I do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are not serving wine in this particular episode. So I think you need to bring it down, Take it a, down bit. a minute. Take it down a bit. All right. <laughs> and that's called for-profit management, by the way, not yes. non-for-profit <sighs> management. No, <laughs> zinger. Always messing it up. <laughs> that's right. But I love the fact that you're always dreaming. Always dreaming. Always <laughs> well, Dave, thank you so much for, for being with us today and talking through some of these issues with us. I know that, uh, Hopefully, uh, some of our small shop people out there got some out of this. And, yeah, they got some love yeah. today. I appreciate that. So I expect someone to buy me coffee next time you see me and mm-hmm. not shake your finger at me. Why don't you give more love to <laughs> small shops? So there's your love for the episode, right? Absolutely. 
So thank you to everybody for joining us on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. And me, Natalie Jablonski. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitchers or your favorite app and subscribe to us. Leave us some feedback so that everybody else can find us and talk about us. You can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes. <laughs>